Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. I love it if you go with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 13 to 20. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 20. So but he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Is there anybody excited and thankful for the blood of the cross today for all the work that Jesus has done? We're in week two of our series, Jesus Over Everything. And my name is John Morgan, and I choose Jesus over everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to get into areas of our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. We pray, God, that you would do that today, that we're going to leave better than when we came in. So, God, we tell you today that our hearts are open. Speak to us. Our minds are ready. Change our thinking. Our spirits are open. We want to hear from you, Holy Spirit. Work with us today. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, now this passage that we read, uh, Bible scholars, theologians, is uh, a little bit of debate of whether these are authentically Pauline. In other words, that the words that we're reading were actually grafted from Paul himself, or whether they were Paul copied. The, The thought is, the way that they're written, there's a rhythmic flow And so the thought is that this passage of Scripture may have been an early hymn or a chant or a mantra that was recited in the church. And so Paul uh, may have even been involved in crafting that, but Paul had heard that chant, heard that, that, that song that had been out there, that hymn, maybe sang it himself. And so he is now repeating this as he is teaching the church at Colossae. The way that the passage is written, it has multiple stanzas. There's a rhythmic formation, uh, all leading to this thought. And the whole concept of doing it in rhythm and in song is to help for uh, easy memorization. Now, this pattern is not unique to Colossians. In Philippians chapter 2, 
In Ephesians chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to see this style of writing being engaged uh, in the Scripture, where we would sing the praises of God, where we would sing the truth of God. Paul wrote that to the church at Ephesus. He said that we need to address one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is encouraging us, I think, number one, probably the attitude of living, have a joyful, singing, celebrating, engaging life. I believe that one of the hallmarks of our Christianity should be the joy of the Lord. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our... So you are strong when you're full of joy. I I don't think the hallmark of our Christianity should be that we look like we've been baptized in bad vinegar. I think the smile on our dial, the face, the joy that emanates out of us. And so Paul's encouraging us. He says, listen, when it comes to life, let songs, let hymns, let spirit, let joy come out of you. But he's also validating... The fact that a, a song or a chant is easy or, or, or is helpful to memorization. In the 70s, there was a, a couple from New Zealand called Dave and Dale Garrett. You may be familiar with their ministry. It's called Scripture and Song. And they had a vision to take scriptures and put them to music. And their whole idea was we could sing it and it would help us memorize Scripture, memorize big portions of Scripture. There's been a couple of incarnations of that over the years, but their whole idea was we believe that you'll remember things a lot easier if you can sing them. They'll stick in your memory. We know that song sticks in our memory. My mum, before she passed, had Alzheimer's, and it was amazing to me that my mum couldn't tell you what day it was, my mother couldn't tell you who I was for a moment. She'd know I was a son, but then it would fade really quickly. And so her short-term memory disintegrated really quickly. But her ability to remember a song, she never lost her ability to remember a song in detail. She could remember poems in detail. And it was an amazing thing. You play a song, mom could sing along with the song she would remember. Why? Because that melody and that repetition got into her spirit and she was able to memorize that. There's something powerful that happens in rhythm and memorization. When I was at Bible college in Australia, there were two ladies, uh, Bev Hack and Doreen Ansey. And I, from memory, I think they both failed their first year at college, and they got an opportunity to do a redo in the second year, but they needed help. They were struggling. They were older ladies, and they were struggling. So I put my hand up, and I said, I'll help. I'll help you with your study. And so every now and then, they'd come to my house, and we'd study a subject together, and I'd have all these different techniques. Well, one of the techniques I had was rhythm. And I remember we did this uh, a class for, uh, of management, church management, and the guy that was our teacher, the tutor, was uh, a lecturer in university. And he's probably one of the hardest uh, lecturers for our, our class to sort of comprehend, very detailed. And I remember he giving us all these notes and they weren't pretty, was just typing. And uh, these women were having a hard time. But there was an acrostic for supervisor. So the word supervisor, you know what an acrostic is? Every letter has a meaning. And so there was this acrostic. I was 100% sure he was going to ask. Because it's so bold, so big. And so I had these ladies in my house dancing. 
So these ladies are like in their 60s, and I got them dancing around. Come on, dance with me. Supervise, utilize, plan, enforce, relate, validate, instruct, show, organize, relate. Come on, supervise, utilize. And I had them, and I can still remember that from all those years ago, from my stupid dance. And they, weren't, they didn't start, dance, women. And so they're dancing and supervise, utilize. And, and, and we never got asked that question. Never got asked that question in the exam. Never featured. But at least I still know what it means. And hopefully they, they still do. And so, so among Bible scholars, there may be uh, no, no real agreement whether this is a song or originally by uh, words originating from Paul. But one thing we know, Paul is the author. So Paul is the author of these words. And Paul is dealing with the doctrine that had infiltrated this young church at Colossae. Paul didn't plant the church, Epaphras planted the church, but Paul had like a grandfather, like a mentoring attitude towards it. And so Greek philosophy, uh, mystery cults, Hellenistic Judaism, uh, some of the Essene doctrine, eventually it become Gnosticism. Some scholars believe it is actually Gnosticism that they're preaching. And the problem with all of that teaching was Jesus plus. It was not that it was uh, uh, teaching there was no God. It, it was just teaching the wrong belief. They had wrong belief. They were teaching the wrong things. Jesus plus. So they taught Jesus plus works. It's okay to be saved, but if you want to really stay saved and be saved, then you need to add some works to that. You need to be circumcised. There's certain things, food you need to eat, dietary uh, restrictions, certain places you could go, certain celebrate. And so they added a lot of works that if you really love God and you're part of God, you'll do these things to earn more favour from God. But you can't earn the favour of God. We're saved by grace through faith, not of lest any man should boast. So God removes us out of the salvation equation. So there are no works added to our salvation. The, the doctrine was teaching Jesus plus wisdom. That if you could get smart enough, if you could elevate your intelligence, the really intelligent of us, we're super saved. The less intelligent of us, barely saved. It's not good for my family. My wife, super saved. Me, scraping it in. I'm so glad that that doctrine's not real. That it's not based on the level of your intelligence. It's not all about your wisdom or how intellectual you are, that we can all come into the kingdom of God and get saved by grace. Not Jesus plus works, not Jesus plus wisdom. It's not even Jesus plus wounds. This is one of their teaching, that if you could punish your body enough, you could cut it, crawl across hot coals, walk across glass, you know, lay down. Uh, one of the things that they would wear would be like camel hair and they would, they would wear these jackets that, so they would uh, uh, scratch themselves and make it difficult that you, if somehow you punished your body that God would love you more. But you can't get saved by works and you can't get saved by wisdom and you can't get saved by wounding yourself. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. We're saved by the grace of Jesus. That's how we get into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus can't be over everything if He is plus anything. Jesus can't be over everything if He needs to be plus anything. Now we note from Paul's writing that he didn't attack the false teaching. He didn't go after it. What he did was he engaged a pretty strong principle of just lay out the truth, lay out the facts. And if you know the facts, you'd be able to spot the lie. 
So you're able to spot a forgery, not by studying every forged $100 note that ever existed, but you study the original note, you know what the original note is all about, and as soon as you see a discrepancy, you know that that note is a forgery. And so Paul is lining out easy here, this is the truth about who Jesus is and who God is. Now Colossians chapter 1 is probably the most uh, Christological passages of the New Testament. And so Paul is laying out here who Jesus is. Jesus over everything. That's our study. Last week we looked at uh, Jesus over salvation. Jesus over salvation. Uh, Verse 13 says, For He rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, and in whom we have redemption and forgiveness. We looked at the four key words, delivered, Translated, redeemed, and forgiven. He delivered us. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. He translated us. He moved us out of being sinners into being saints. He moved us from hell into heaven. And so not only did He rescue us, but He translated us and then He redeemed us. He paid the price for our sin in whom we have redemption, the paying of price for our sin. We are not ex-anythings. We're new creations. You're not an ex-anything. You're a new creation. The Bible says, all the old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. Not because of your works or your goodness, but because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Even though our sins were as red as scarlet, we are now white as snow. Because we stand before God, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Is there anybody in the house that's excited to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? And it goes on and says, He has forgiven us. We have redemption and forgiveness. The old song, He paid a debt He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. Jesus Christ came. He washed everything. I just love the fact that God has done everything. We also looked at Jesus over everyone. He is the image, verse 15 says, of the invisible God. J.B. Phillips translates that. He is a visible expression Hebrews chapter 1 says he is the exact representation of God. John chapter 1 said that, that Jesus has made God known. The point being that the invisible God became visible. That Jesus is the Spirit wrapped in flesh. And that when you've seen Him, you've seen the Father. That Jesus represented the Father well on earth. And understanding Jesus means that we can understand the Father goes on and says he is the firstborn of all creation. Now some cults have taken this to go, see, he's firstborn. So he must have been born, must have been invented, must have been created. But to say that is to leave out the context and the next passage of Scripture. He is the firstborn of all creation and by him all things were created. So it's not like he was firstborn. The word title firstborn means preeminent, first place. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is everything in between. He is God in status. He is preeminent in status. He's not created. He is in first place. And this is where we pick up our series this week. Jesus over creation. Let me read this to you. Verse 16. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible 
and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we see in this verse that Jesus envisioned by him all things were created. We see in this verse that Jesus created all things. All things were created through him. We see Jesus loves all created things. All things were created through him and for him. And we see that Jesus sustains all things. So it says here, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus envisaged all things. By him, all things were created. So he saw it, he masterminded it, he imagined it, he believed that it could be. He envisaged everything in heaven, on earth, seen and unseen, visible and invisible. We are now discovering things that have been invisible for years, that are now becoming visible, that have always been invisible to God. And so he is before all of that. He dreamed that. He planned that by him. By him practically means that Jesus conceived of creation and all of its complexity. Creation was his idea. Theologically, there's a clear distinction made between the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved in creation. The father presented as the architect. The son actually brings the plans into existence. And the Holy Spirit hovering is putting things together, is doing all the work. And through Jesus, all things are held together. We notice from this that God is by nature a builder. A builder that envisions, a builder that plans, designs, implements, creates, establishes, then sits back and goes, that's good. I like what I've done there. That, 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 that right there is awesome. The Bible says about Abraham that he was looking for a city whose author and builder was God. So Jesus is the originator of our existence. We are a result of his creative energy. It is for him and by him. Jesus created all things. All things were created through him. The Bible says, creation came into existence through Jesus. The NIV says it was by him. This phrase means this, that creation came to be through his power and his ability. He is the effective agent of creation. That's consistent with scripture. John chapter one, verse one to four says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Matthew, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3 says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. Through Him, He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for our sins, he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty. Jesus as creator, Jesus as sustainer, Jesus as Lord, Jesus as an architect is not limited to Colossians. 
It's a biblical principle that goes right through the Scripture and has its place. Now, the big debate today and why it's important for us to teach this is that most of you would be in that conflict between evolution and creation. We're in a society where it's evolution versus creation. Now, evolution is really a roll of the dice. It says there is no creator. There is no designer. What we need is chance and time. If we just have chance, we just take a a freak of chance, of opportunity, and just give it masses amounts of time. If we can just give it a stack of time, then somehow all of this design will happen out of chance and happen out of time. We are believers in the Creator. We don't believe it happened out of chance. We don't believe that God exists in time. He lives outside of time. He is eternal. He is a spirit being. We believe that everything that we see in the natural has come out of the invisible, that there is a creator and that there is a designer. And we believe that all creation, everything in creation points to the design of God. Now, obviously for the evolutionists, it, they have to believe in uh, accident and time and no creator because once you admit there's a creator, once you admit there's a God, then you have to submit to that God. Once you say there's a creator, then you've got to go, okay, what's the creator saying about how we live? And when the creator lays out a blueprint of how life should be, then we need to be obedient to the blueprint. And anytime we rebel against the blueprint, we're rebelling against the creator And the Bible calls that sin. So to be an evolutionist, at some point, you have to say, I don't believe in a creator. And therefore, if I don't believe in a creator, I don't need to believe in sin. So I'm okay. I'm not eternal. This body's going to stop. Everything stops. But we believe in the creator. We, we believe that everything, that creation speaks of design, that creation speaks of God. Now, now in the church life, and I don't know where you sit with this, but there are a variety of theories of creation. There's the gap theory. Now, the gap theory would teach that there's a gap between Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, that the whole concept of replenishing the earth meant that it used to have some sort of an existence, and Adam and Eve right now are going to restock the pantry that was empty. That's the gap theory. Then there's the day-age theory. They, they believe that, you know, it's a day, six days of creation, but each day is not necessarily a 24-hour block because the Bible says that a day for the Lord can be a thousand years. A day for the Lord can be a million years. You know, God speaks to us now and it can happen 50 years from now, even though we think it's going to happen now. Technically, we never have a now because the first now I said just a moment ago is no longer a now, it's in the past. And so the day-age theory says that every day may have been a, a description of a mass amount of time. Then there's the apparent age theory. The apparent age theory would teach that uh, Jesus created Adam and Eve as adults, created animals as adults, created mountains in their fullest form. And so everything that we see, God spoke into existence as it was. There's a punctuated 24-hour theory that there says there's a gap of time between each day. And then I think probably where most of us would land is scientific creationism, that we believe that it is a literal 24-hour day, six days, that God can do it because He's God, He designed it, and that the earth is young. But here's what I'd say to you. We have all these theories, and they are exactly that. They are a theory. We are trying to theorize how God did it. 
But the reality is God pretty much didn't tell us how he did it. Because in the book of Genesis chapter 1, the writer was not a scientist. And he was not writing a scientific journal. He was not writing to the scientific community of his day, a scientific journal and outlaying creation. He was just stating the fact, we have a creator. We are created by design, that there is a God. In fact, the whole way uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is written is in poetic form. It's like a poem, like poetic flow, a little bit like Colossians 1 is written as a hymn. This is to allow us to be able to understand there is a creator. Now, our challenge is this. 2022, with all of our education and the pool of world knowledge doubling every few months right now and all of our advances with microscopes and telescopes and periscopes and kaleidoscopes and all the scopes, the stethoscope, all that, we, we, we can examine things that generations before us couldn't see. And so we try to view Genesis chapter 1 from our perspective. But you have to stop and think, this is God telling people thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago, thousands of years God said, in the beginning, God. And then decades on, God. And then decades on, God. And then decades on, God. We need to understand that everybody in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Jacob, Ruth, Esther, all these men and women, Abraham, Sarah, all these people understood in their time frame, in the beginning, God. They, they understood that. Why? Because that's how God presented Himself to them so they would understand. If He'd sent them a textbook, they'd never get it. No one would understand God for thousands of years. This is the story of God's love. This is the story of God's creation. This is God speaking from heaven through men to us. So we understand that God is the creator. Everyone in the New Testament was able to understand. They didn't have science like we have it today. And so Paul was able to understand in the beginning God and get the revelation that in the beginning God was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And give us the book of Colossians. This passage was written so it would be understood over thousands of years. Now we have the benefit when you start with uh, that statement of understanding that God is a creator. Now we have an understanding as created beings from God with intelligence that we can see some of God's design in creation. Time, sun rises, sun sets. We've got a sun, we've got a moon created by God. How that works, wrapping around the sun. This is all a part of God's creation. This is how God created time. God created time for us. We see it with seasons, how the seasons roll over. And some areas of the world don't have seasons. They have a wet, where I grew up, we had a wet season and a dry season. That was it. We didn't have a winter, spring, summer, or fall. We had wet, we had dry, but we could calculate what season was going to take place because of the design of the Creator. We're now looking in science and we're seeing into the galaxies and we're just seeing the magnitude and the bigness of God. Because of God's design, we don't plummet into the sun. We don't float off the planet. There's gravity that holds us down on the ground. There are wet weather patterns that God has created. I think one of the biggest indicators for us of creation is us. Because you and I are created what? In the image of God. Now, Jesus is the image, but we're created in the image. And so we have God-like attributes in our life. We don't have them all. We're not holy. 
We're not omniscient. We're not omnipotent. We're not omnipresent. So there are whole parts of the God nature that we don't manifest, but there are some characters like we're creative. Out of all creation, we are creative. Why? Because we were created in the image of God who is a creator. In the beginning, God created. So we have His creative ability. So we can take an idea, turn it into a vision, turn that into a strategy, turn that into a plan and have execution and come to completion and look back and go, that is good. We have that ability in us because God put it in us. We're intelligent. God gave us His intelligence. That's where we're able to write and discover and talk and translate and, and invent and create and do all these things because of the God stamp in us. We are dominant. God has given us authority over the planet to look after the planet, to tend it, to replenish it, to subdue it, to have dominion, to multiply, to grow and to increase. We're tripartite. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are spirit beings, live inside a body and have a soul by the God nature in us. And we have His ability. We have God's ability to love. We have God's ability to forgive. We have God's ability to judge. We have God's ability to trust, to engage and to communicate. And so when we look at creation and we look at ourselves, we sit back and go, oh, we are more than an accident. We are more than a byproduct of chance and time. There is an intelligent, loving creator backing all this. Jesus loves all things. He says all things are for him. Isaiah says, for you shall go out, Enjoy, be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Creation was created to worship the Creator. The benefit that you and I have is God gave us the power of choice, which makes our worship all that more valuable. We're not forced to worship God. We choose, because God gave us the power of choice, whether we're going to worship God. So when you came in here today, some of you came in, you had a horrible week. If I could put your week up on the screen, everybody like, oh my gosh, how'd you even end up in here today? You just had such a horrible, terrible week. But you got up this morning, and despite your terrible week, you thought to yourself, you know what, I need to be in the house of God. I need to bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And God didn't force you. God didn't manipulate you. And when you walk through those doors and you raised your hands, Jesus over everything, heaven looked down and said, that person loves me. That person cares. That person is adoring me. And your worship means something to him. But Jesus said, if you don't do it, rocks will cry out. Like creation is set up, not just to be loved by God, but to love God back. Creation exists for Him. It's literally unto Him. It's here because He is here. We are created to worship God. As the psalmist said, what is man that you are mindful of Him? How, how can you even think? It blows my mind to think I have your mind. It arrests my attention to understand that I have your attention. Do you know how valuable you are to God? 
I'm not sure if you've ever just stopped, because this will make you worship, but nothing else makes you worship. This will make you stop. I've seen about this this week, you know, with all the discoveries of the galaxies, and then realizing how small our galaxy is in the midst of galaxies. So our galaxy is one galaxy in the midst of galaxies. Billions of light years away. We're one galaxy. In that galaxy, we're one planet. One planet. And then we live in a nation on the planet. In a, in a region in the nation. State. In a town in the state. In a house on a street. In a state. We're in a bedroom. You're, you're, you in a bedroom with all of that hugeness. But it doesn't stop there. This is, as, how many of you know that makes you feel incredibly small? Does that make you feel small when you put it like that? Like, I am really small. I thought I was all that in a bag of chips, but I am really tiny. But the Bible says that God bottles our tears and he counts our hair. And some of you have done him a favor and giving him less counting. That's good. I'm hoping to keep him busy. <laughs> but think about that. He counts hair, a strand of hair. So you take me and then you take a strand of hair. It's not because God's a hair collector or a tear collector. He's on, I'm into the details. In the microscopic detail of who you are, I'm in that. That's because God loves us. And so it's His creation and what He's created that we can step back and look at it and His creation reflects the Creator, the genius of God's creative ability. Uh, it's like, like a, a, uh, an artist. Say, so take like a Michelangelo who created the, uh, built the statue of David, created the, the David statue, famous. Um, and when you, when you look at the statue, you realise that didn't always exist. That came out of the mind and the imagination of David. And then he sculpted that. He, 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 he built that. That was a part of uh, who... And so now when we look at the statue, we would look at that and reflect and go, oh, that was created by Michelangelo. When you see works by Picasso and you see the, the paint on the, the canvas, you just don't think about the paint on the canvas. You think behind that and you think of, well, that's the artist, Picasso. That, that's how it works. It's like creation with us. Uh, I, I spoke at the seniors camp this week and Lois White, I'm not sure, if, is Lois in here? Where, where's Lois? Lois White, raise your hand. I'm looking for you. Right at the, you're right at the back. You're going to get any further back than Lois is right now. You would be in the lobby. We'd have to call you Lobby White instead of Lois. And, uh, but Lois, I don't know if she's an artist and she was trained, I, I believe I got this right, in Japanese technique, was one of the training that she has as an artist. And she painted, hand painted a, a picture of Jesus. And I got given as a gift speaking at the seniors camp this week. So, so this is an outworking of her imagination, her talent, her ability on canvas. And, uh, she, now every time I see that, that'll be for me a reflection of 
Lois White. Every time I see it, I'm going to say ISG, but Lois painted that. that that's a really cool photo or cool picture. And the reason I appreciate that is because on my iPad, uh, some time ago, I started dabbling with my, uh, my Apple pen to do some art. And Anna's uh, grandmother, who is an artist, was like, man, that's really good. You should produce that. And so I produced some. I have a couple of pieces hanging up in uh, my office. And so when you see that, you know, I, I did this piece here and... Um, if Lois was sitting closer, um, I would... No, I'm going to take it to Lois. Um, and so th- I painted this, or, or created this, and I printed this this week because I wanted to give it to Lois, who's sitting right at the back of the church, because she's like, John Morgan needs to lose some weight and probably needs to run. And uh, so I wanted to give this to Lois and say, hopefully when you look at that, you remember me. And you'll pray for me. Thank you. Yeah, let's give it up for Lois White, counter of the offering, painter of Jesus, gym instructor of your pastor. That whole section would have happened quicker if she sat closer. But that's all good. She needed to do that. She was counting the offering and busy today, so... But when you look at that, so when she looks at that, hopefully when she looks at that, she'll think, oh, John Morgan created that for me, and she'll pray. That's what God has done with creation. That's how he has, has done that for us. And so creation is the same way. It reflects uh, and reminds us of the creator. Last thought, and then we'll pray. Jesus sustains all created things. Russell, you can come if you want. Bring the band Verse 17 says, all things, everyone say all things, all things are held together in him. Jesus is the super glue. He is the factor that stops all these molecules from just exploding. He is the thing that holds us on the planet. He is the thing that holds matter together, stops protons from rejecting each other. He, he holds things, all things in the power of, of His hand. That's who He is. As someone said, the ongoing life of the universe depends on God's Son, who somehow holds all things together. So we don't explode, we don't disintegrate. Why? Because He holds things all together. He holds society together through His church. The end time doctrine theories would be church goes out, war goes crazy. Church gets raptured, tribulation. Because the church is the superglue of society. That's why the church needs to be built and to grow because society benefits from the church. Take the church out, take Jesus out, everything vanishes in creation. Jesus is the superglue of holding the planet together. And the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got you and me, brother. He's got you and me in his hand. Sing a bit louder. Come on, sing with us. He's got the Sing it online at home. Sing it out loud. Make your neighbors think that you're weird. Got the whole world in his hands. 
you are singing good today. That's like a choir audition. You know who not to use now. <laughs> Russell's like, do not use the pastor. I want to put it to you like this. If he can hold all this together, he can hold you together. I'm not sure what you're going through right now. I'm not sure what craziness is happening in your world. I'm not sure what battles you're fighting. But if he can hold everything, if all things are held together in him, visible and invisible, if all things are held together in him, then no matter what you're going through, he can hold you in the palm of his hand. He can hold you together. You can, you're going to make it through. You're going to get to the other side. I don't care what's come against you, but you have a Creator that loves you. You have a God that cares. You have a Saviour that's for you, not against you. You have a Holy Spirit that was sent to be your comforter and to work with you. You have angels from heaven sent as delegations to fight on your behalf. God can put angels in front of you, angels behind you, angels above you, angels underneath you. He can surround you with His glory. I don't know what you're going through. May feel like all of life is falling apart, but He has the whole world. He has your world in His hands. If He can hold it all together, then He can hold you together. You feel like you're exploding. You feel like you are losing it. You feel like you don't have it together, and, I, and, and that's a horrible place to be. But if you can just leave here with one thing today, God, at the end of all of this, you're going to hold me together. I can't trust my feelings. I can't trust my emotions. But you're going to hold me together. I don't know how you're going to do that. I can't explain it. I can't define it. But I lean on you. I lean on you. If you've got somebody that you love, that this world's falling apart, then you've got to believe today. He's got the whole world. All things are held together in Him. In Him. You stand with me. Yeah, you can give Jesus a great round of applause. I, I think this is appropriate time for that.